Welcome to Talking Tuesday. I am your host, Fancy Quant, and today we're going to talk about paying for your education here a little bit. Um, I got a question from a subscriber, so I normally don't do questions on Talking Tuesdays, but today we're going to talk a little bit about it. But they wanted to know, Dimitri, how did you pay for your master's degree? And I think this is more important to look at how I paid for all of my education because you'll start to see kind of a trend with this. And I think it's kind of misleading to say, how did you pay for one degree uh, when it's going to require multiple degrees in high school education, which you'll see here, it cost me quite a bit of money. Um, let's just dive on into this here. So I went to public school from preschool, kindergarten uh, through seventh grade. Then I did a stint, a little bit of a few weeks here and there, eighth grade. Uh, I went homeschooled. So um not a fan of public schooling as a whole. Uh, the problem with public schooling in general is that it is catered to the masses. And so when your children, so I was the child in this sense, um, my educational needs were not the same as everybody else's. And the schools, unfortunately, don't have the resources, don't have the staff, don't have the quality um, to be able to provide that. So I can tell you throughout the years, I always had one or two good teachers here and there. And there were a few that I just like, I loved them. They made um, my learning experience so much better. Uh, they drew an interest in that topic for me. Like I was like, oh, wow, um, I hate English. And then I took a, a class with Mr. Meyer and I loved English. And it was like this great thing. And I wanted to do more of it. And same thing with college as well. But public schooling it just wasn't for me. Now, I'm trying to put my kids into public schools. We're trying to see how far I can get them through. Um, and then I'm really hesitant now, though, because I'm not sure how their learning is going to go. Um, and unfortunately, being highly educated, you start to really kind of question the intellect of the teachers that are teaching your children. And you start to wonder, could I teach my kids much better? Uh, maybe I can do things on the outside you know, some extracurricular activities um, to make it better here. But um, I went through all of that. Then I went through a semester at public school for high school. I absolutely hated it. I hated the kids. I hated the school. I hated the teachers. It all just sucked. Um, and I convinced my parents to send me to private school. So I went to Gonzaga Preparatory School in Spokane, Washington, um, which is the oldest Jesuit uh, school that is west of the Mississippi. Um, so if you watch basketball, you know Gonzaga University. Uh, G Prep is actually the original Gonzaga that used to be on the campus, and it still grinds me. Um, but they took our campus, and then they moved us up where the high school currently is here. Um, I believe Prep costs like $7,500 a year, maybe a little bit more there. Um, but my parents paid for it. So my parents, I was talking to my mom recently, uh, mentioned a lot of my college money was going to pay for my high school. Um, again, right, do you spend $7,500 a year on high school? Like, that seems a little bit ridiculous. Um, but I can tell you, Gonzaga Prep, so G Prep here, uh, they were, they're hands down the best school in Spokane, Washington. I would argue they're one of the best schools um, probably in the country especially in the Northwest, just private schools provide better resources than public schools. Uh, one of the things is when kids would act up in class, I remember a teacher saying multiple times, um, every other student in here, their parents are paying thousands of dollars for these other students to be here. If you are going to disrupt this course, uh, you are going to be kicked out and you will no longer go to school here. And so it was very stern, at least when I was there. Um, and that sort of structure, that sort of dynamic 
Um, I think it was good. It, it added value. We didn't have to cater to everybody. Like we only wanted good students. Um, the one thing though that prep provided that nobody else could provide um, is we did not teach, well, we did teach. We taught, you know, basic topics. Like you had to take four years of math. So public schooling was like, well, if you get to a specific level and you're so smart in advance, you don't need to take any more math. Nope, prep requires four years of math, four years of English. Um, and then they had all the other, you know, common history courses and I had to take theology. So we covered Catholicism. We covered, um, I think like, um, I think a few different other ones like Muslims when we covered Mormons and we covered, um, just very different, varying, um, religions and kind of put everything together over, I think three or four years worth of courses. Again, super worthwhile, super interesting. And we taught all the basic courses, but the thing that prep taught me that no one else could teach me was that they challenged you and they wanted you to learn to critically think. So in many courses, there was not a right answer. Now I'm saying that this is not woke left. There is no right answer. Like for math and, you know, sciences like biology and chemistry and everything I took, there is a right answer. Um, but we took courses, like I took a course where we argued and debated, uh, I think like religions, we argued and debated morals and ethics. I remember in one course, um, we debated the death penalty and it wasn't just like, what do you think of the death penalty? And everybody spouts out their ideas and argues and yells and screams. Um, what it ended up being was like this class discussing the pros and the cons and trying to get you to think more about it. And it was over time that we'd have to go back to class. I remember debating and arguing these sorts of things in class. And of course they get a little bit charged, emotionally charged, um, because different students have very, very differing opinions here. Now, um, there was, I think, a good mix of those that were, what we'd say is far left-leaning, far right-leaning, people in the middle. There was a good kind of structure here, but prep created this environment where I felt like you could argue and debate and think about the issues because a lot of times in life, there's not a simple right answer. Um, being able to challenge authority, being able to challenge the way we did things, um, critically thinking about these sort of topics and ideas these are things that public schooling, at least in Spokane, Washington, um, did not provide, okay? It does not teach an ideology. And I think this is very, very unique, um, especially when you think about, oh, it's a Jesuit Catholic school. Of course, they're only going to teach you Catholic thoughts and Catholic processes, and you must do these sorts of things. But interestingly enough, PrEP did not. It actually opened, I think, the minds of many students. Um, they increase diversity and they do scholarships and take in poorer students as well. And so you get an eclectic mix of ideas and thoughts and even like professors and teachers don't even agree with it. Um, the other piece too is all the teachers at PrEP were required to be working towards a graduate degree. So this is not the case in public schools. Um, but I thought this was very advantageous for the education system. It makes the teachers learn and process and move um, through these sorts of coursework here. So my parents paid the tuition for that, which I believe was like 7,500 a year. So that's going to be, you know, three and a half years because um, I went halfway through my uh, freshman year and then three solid years after that. Now I paid for my undergrad um, through kind of two means here. So the first year and a half, uh, my undergrad and my girlfriend at the time's undergrad was being paid by our parents. So big thumbs up, big appreciation for my parents um, for paying for that. Uh, but to put you guys in the perspective financially, I had to pay for my food. I paid for my, I think my textbooks. My parents, I believe, were paying for my rent um, for that piece at least. But I was living at least for a short stint in a single wide trailer with two, maybe three other guys. So yeah, I lived in a trailer 
Um, this wasn't like high class flute. My parents wrote this big fat check and I went to some fancy, you know, dormitory or I don't know, something else. I really didn't want to live in a dorm, which is why we did the trailer stint thing. I had a friend that lived in a trailer and it was a nightmare. I was living out of like bags and stuff. I couldn't even unpack my stuff. Whole other thing. Um, and then I ended up moving uh, into a dorm, which was, I think, kind of that first probably short stint in the trailer. Couldn't stand it. Uh, I moved to the dorms where somewhat older students could do that. Uh, I went to BYU-Idaho first, though, so I forgot about that. Again, my parents paid for that. BYU-Idaho is a religious school. It is very, very cheap. My parents paid for a little bit of that. It was like a summer boot camp kickoff. And then I did a year and a half of my undergrad. My parents paid for my tuition, but I paid for my food. Um, I paid for, I think, my books. Uh, I paid for any of my activities. I paid for my gas. Like I was paying my way for the most part besides just getting tuition paid for. Uh, I also had a scholarship because I was academically ahead a little bit. Um, so again, being smart pays off, helps pay the bills here. Um, but the critical point, the tipping point here is that I got married. Uh, I was engaged when I was 19 to my girlfriend um, and she was 19 and then the families were not happy. We were engaged. Uh, I got married on my 20th birthday. My wife was still 19. And that was kind of the tipping point of like, everyone's like, well, we're out, right? I mean, you're kind of on your own. Um, the university system views you on your own as well. So now instead of looking at my parents and her parents' income, um, you could get paid out. Like your, your financial need was based off of your current need, not your parents' need, which I completely agree with because a lot of parents pay for their kids' schooling. I mean, that was a little bit of an example of that with that first year and a half. But then sophomore year, right, halfway through sophomore year, I was so poor, uh, the university paid for just my tuition. Okay, so now my wife and I had been working, again, every summer in college we've been working. I'd been working since I was 16 um, for my family startup, which had been struggling. Um, I worked tons and tons of hours for that. And a lot of times I just didn't get paid. We just didn't have the money to pay us out for this. But me working throughout all that, me saving up, I pulled a bank statement <clears throat> recently here that was an old bank statement. Uh, and I had like $1,000 or $1,200 in my account. And that's what I lived on. Um, and now at 20, just turning 20, um, we were kicked out. We had no financial support from any of the families. People weren't very happy. We were so young and getting married. Um, luckily the universities, uh, pitched in financially and paid for just the tuition itself. Again, my wife had scholarships, which helped cover part of that. Um, but everything else I paid for food, rent, uh, car insurance, um, anything we needed, right? Toiletries, like I paid for everything and I had to work through school. So during my undergrad, I worked partially for the family business. Uh, I worked during the summers, 40 to 80 hours a week. I was working like a madman, trying to make as much money as possible so I could live off it the rest of the year. It was not enough money. I couldn't cover food. Uh, I couldn't cover the needs we had. And so at Washington State University, I worked for the university itself, um, working in the disability department. So I actually drove around the disability van and I picked up students you know, that had disabilities and I drove them to where they needed to go, to classes and all that. I administered exams for those that had um, issues of like seeing, for example, or those uh, that had other things, things like ADHD and those sorts of things gave you like an extra exam time. So you'd get the full hour like everybody else. Plus you might get like an extra 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever based on your assessment. Uh, so I was working there doing data entry for them, um, at proctoring exams, driving the, the cars. So I was working part-time um, for the university. Uh, I was working part-time um, for the business, my family's business at the same time. Um, and then during the summers, my wife would work um, at a 
at a, one was like an ice cream place. Then she worked at a card shop that sold like party supplies and things. And we worked because nobody was there paying for us to live. No one was giving us that handout here. Um, and during the summers, I would move back in with my parents. My wife and I at the time, I'm married, moved back in with my parents. It wasn't glamorous because I, I, <laughs> you're married at 20 and you're struggling and you're trying to make ends meet. Um, right, paying for that, you're going to have to work. So I ended up working and going to school at the same time because it wasn't enough to live on. I still had to have um, some money to live on here. And of course, I tried to avoid student loans at all pos- cost, at all possibilities here, right? Um, so I did that for undergrad and I made it through and I graduated and my wife and I were both unemployed. So luckily my undergrad was in state. So tuition again, I think was like, I don't know, something like $10,000 a year, maybe 10, maybe 12. Um, and it was fairly cheap because it was in state and we'd move back home and I would drive back and forth on the weekends working for uh, my parents' business, which had I say it like it's a family business. Uh, there was nine total or 10 total investors. Um, again, only one or only two people were family. Everybody else were external investors, They're like a real business, um, struggling to make ends meet. And so there was that piece of this. Now, just to give you an idea of how poor I was, uh, my wife and I's first fight, um, I remember we'd been married, we were living in student housing. And of course, I'm paying out, I think it was like 600 bucks a month or something to live there. But my wife dropped her toothbrush on the bathroom floor. So of course she just threw it out. I was like super furious. I just couldn't believe she would throw out a toothbrush. Um, that's how poor I was, right? I didn't have any money. So a dollar fifty or $2, whatever a toothbrush cost at that time. Um, that was a lot to me. I just couldn't believe we were being so wasteful. And so looking back, I'm like, I know I was irrational. But the reality is that kind of puts you into perspective of like, you know, going through education, going through the process. I didn't have a lot of funds. I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, then I had to move back home because my wife and I graduated. Again, didn't have any jobs lined up. Couldn't find any you know, routes or paths. I applied for graduate schools. Uh, I got rejected from every financial engineering program that I applied to. And of course, I only applied to like the top five. Uh, stupid old me. Um, and then I applied to my undergrad, Washington State University's economics program for a master's. I got a full ride uh, to the master's program. Um, again, they do not provide funding for master's student, but when your GRE scores and all that come in way above all the PhDs, they offer you funding. So I turned that down. I rejected that. And I worked for the business again for another year. Now, this is a struggling business. It's not making all of its payments. Um, again, we're paying out every employee first. And then if we happen to have enough money left over, uh, my dad and I and anyone else in the family that happens to be working for the business is going to be getting paid like fractions of what you need because we're trying to get the business through and up and running here. So kind of puts you in a dicey situation. You realize your family's struggling. They can't make ends meet. Uh, You're struggling. You can't make ends meet. And then you're trying to go to school and do all this stuff at the same time. Uh, I ended up going to a University of Michigan. So I got two offers, one from Claremont uh, and one from University of Michigan for graduate school the next year. And I knew do or die, I had to get out of Spokane, Washington. Um, I was just dead in the water. There's no finance jobs in that area. I had a finance undergrad with a economics um, minor. Uh, my wife had, wife had a kinesiology undergrad, Spokane, Washington. There's not a lot of jobs for this. Um, and I went to Michigan now and I went to Michigan. It was $77,000 in total. I think it was like $20,000 a semester, um, for my degree. Um, now my wife's degree was another 20, I think 2000 a semester. And 
I ended up having to take out student loans. I had no other choice. I don't have any other way to finance this. Um, but luckily, at the time, the government had student loans that you could essentially take out. There were grad loans and grad plus loans and Perkin loans. And there's all kinds of loans. I'm taking out money. I had to take out enough to cover my tuition. I had to take out more money to cover food and to cover rent. Again, I'm still working. I'm still working and I'm still going to school because I can't make ends meet. I am taking out massive amounts of debt uh, and taking a massive gamble to do this. Um, and to give you perspective on this, um, I had to drive from Michigan down to Ohio to do a business deal um, for the business and go meet with a customer and talk about products and sales and get it all lined up. Um, then a vendor, is supposed to be a licensee of our corporation, screwed us and refused to actually install these products. And I remember it was like the week of finals or something. I'm down um, in Ohio trying to get the city's name, but I'm down in Ohio trying to install a building. So we've got, I've got trucks coming with, you know, buildings that weigh 20, probably about 30,000 pounds on them. Uh, I've got a crane showing up. The ground's a little wet. The crane got, one of the trucks got stuck and we couldn't get the, the truck out and the buildings are being installed. And I'm pissed off because uh, our stupid licensee should have been there to the installation. I'm in grad school. It's like finals week. I'm going to miss my exams. So I'm trying to shuffle the scheduling around to get down and put the exams. I think it's the week before finals. Um, and so I'm getting these buildings put in and the stupid licensee didn't deliver all the pieces that weren't with the product and they were being a pain in the backside. And I'm freaking out because I got school and exams. And I should be studying, but I can't study because I'm down there doing the installs. And then on top of that, another story with this is I remember sitting in, oh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a building up on the north side of campus, by like the museum, I don't recall what it is. It's one of the science buildings. And I had a class in there. And I just remember a few different classes, me missing class, like the whole class, because I'm out on the phone just yelling at my dad in the hall about the incompetencies of the business and how are we doing this and this screwed us and that screwed us. Um, so I was doing all the corporate finance and accounting at that point. I had to take it all over. Um, one of the big fancy high flute and accounting firms, CPAs, butchered our books at one point. Um, and then we hired people that were CPA certified. Again, all complete morons who didn't do the accounting correctly. Um, I was always having to go back and fix everything they did and it was screw ups. Um, these licensees that we'd hired were complete boobs too. Uh, they screwed us on so many things. Contracts were signed. They didn't follow through with it. Then we ended up getting in lawsuits, having to sue them, and they sued us. And it's a bloodbath. It was a horrible experience. But I learned a lot about business, and I had to do this to make money to make ends meet. And at the same time, um, you can't just leave your family, you know, let them, let them, you know, hang to dry here. Like, I can't just leave my family and say, screw it. You made stupid decisions. You don't run the business the way I think you should run it. Good luck. Um, I was still tied into the family business, still trying to get them through things, still trying to get things done. So like the accounting and the financials and all the reporting stuff we have to submit for, um, for taxes and all that. I'm still trying to keep the business going, trying to get my family through this. Uh, at the same time, I'm trying to pay for my schooling. I took out $160,000 in debt between my wife's degree, my degree, uh, living expenses, and again, trying to use our money. And then finally, so that's how I paid for all that. And finally, I graduate. And guess what? My wife and I are both unemployed. Um, student housing sends me a letter and says, hey, you can stay to this date, which is like a week or two after, maybe it's like two weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe it's like two or three weeks. After um, graduation, you can stay it all then. You can pay us rent. After that, you are no longer eligible for student housing and you are being kicked out. Um, so good luck, good riddance. I didn't have anything lined up. Uh, I couldn't afford to pack all my stuff either and load it all up and move back home to Spokane, Washington, which is all the way across the country. 
nor did I even want to because I knew that was a suicide move career-wise and life-wise. If I got pigeonholed back where I started, there's no way in hell I'm getting hired. There's no way I'm getting out. Um, I'm going to be now racked up with $160,000 in debt and no way to pay this off. So I ended up graduating unemployed. Um, I was panicking. We were looking at apartments to move to. Of course, I'm not eligible to actually rent anything because I have no job. Um, so I'm starting to think in the back of my head, should I work at McDonald's? Should I work at Kroger? Should I work? You know, What type of job can I just get that will pay me just enough money just to get by? Uh, and luckily, this is when I figured out how to rewrite the resumes and I changed the structure and I went down and interviewed at Huntington Bank down in Ohio. Um, I interviewed at Comerica. I applied like three months prior. They finally got around to interviewing me. I flew down there. Um, had a big blow up between Huntington being butthurt that Comerica had given me an offer. And they didn't want to play the games with matching and all that. Didn't like Huntington. Had a very bad experience, at least with that team, that interviewing staff there. They wanted me, but they wanted me just to blindly accept an offer without knowing how much they were going to pay me. Uh, Comerica was an amazing opportunity down in Dallas here in Texas. Um, they gave me some moving stipend. Um, they gave me a stellar salary, an extra 10 grand more than I was expecting to make. And that is the pivot point of when everything turned here. And then to round out the story here on paying off student loans, my wife and I paid off our $160,000 in five years. We had 10 years to pay it, paid it off in five. Um, now I'm gonna put a little caveat, a little note here at the end of this is, when you take a loan, you it's a moral obligation, right? You took somebody's money, regardless if it's the government or it's a family member or it's somebody else. Right? You took the money, you need to pay that money back regardless of what you did with the money, regardless of the degree that you like, regardless if you're employed, um, it is your moral responsibility to pay that money back. And I strongly believe in that. Regardless if I would have ended up unemployed and had no job or I did find a job, um, you are responsible for paying that money back. Um, one other piece here on the financing of my education though as well, a little bit of finance here. Uh, I graduated, had all these massive debts here, just churning through them. And each loan has a different interest rate. I think I was paying like seven and a half, eight and a half percent on a lot of these loans, which is really high, especially back then. Um, one way I did a little bit of trickery with this is my grandma at the time needed a little bit of help managing her personal finances. Uh, I was now churning in great money because I had this job finally in risk management. Whole other struggle um, on my wife's side, which is a whole other story, which I will not not bring into any of these sort of conversations here. Um, but it was a it was a challenge with this. And so when I talked to my grandma, she needed to find something safe, something that paid better rates than the market. She's looking at money markets. And of course, rates at that time, I think were like one or 2%. So I cut my grandma a deal and I said, look, uh, you can make, I think it's like one, one and a half, maybe 2% doing a money market. Um, I'm paying, I think like on these loans, I had as like seven and a half, 7.56% on these loans. Why don't you, why don't I cut you a deal? I'll pay you 4%, right? So it's double what you would get um, going to the market here. I will sign it personally, guarantee the loan, do or die. I'll pay the entire loan in full. Um, I will guarantee you, I will not prepay the loan either. So that gives my grandma a little protection that she'll have good steady income over the life of this loan. And I basically refinanced one of these loans personally through a personal deal. Uh, my grandma gave me some money, I paid off the loan. And then I made my payments directly to my grandma. Now, this was a good beneficial situation for both of us. Uh, it reduced my interest payments because now I'm not paying the government uh, that 7.56, whatever I was paying them. Now I'm only paying 4%. Uh, my grandma, I guaranteed I'd pay it. 
do or die. I was definitely not going to default on this. And I made sure I paid my grandma every single last dollar on that loan. And I paid it all the way through. So you can get a little creative if you find some good family or friends or things, right? You can do some sort of interaction here. But yes, I am regular. I had out-of-state tuition in Michigan. I had to pay all the fees. I had to pay all the tuition. Um, I worked though throughout. I, mean, I, I worked for, um, again, I worked for the family business a lot, which was miserable. I did construction work, um, working in the summers when it's hot, working in the winters when it's cold. Uh, my wife and I, something else we did is we'd go up on weekends and I would lay stone. So masonry work, we'd lay a stone for these projects um, to make some extra money as well. So my wife was actually laying stone with me. I remember laying stone with her and my dad and it was like, I don't know, 30 degrees or 28 degrees out. And we're in like this big barn that's unheated with a, a concrete precast building in there. We got torpedo heaters set up or laying stone. Um, but guys, I had to hustle. You have to work to make ends meet. That's the thing, right? I didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth with somebody writing this big check, um, you know, making things easy. So, but that's how I financed my education. Um, it is not the ideal way. I think it is much better if you can just focus on your schooling and not work. I definitely missed out on on just exams or uh, lectures. I missed out on entire lectures and different series and different processes because I had to work and I had to make things work out. Um, if you can take loans, I think it is actually a good decision, especially in quant finance. You got to be dedicated. Uh, you really got to put in the time and the effort here. I think it makes you work a bit harder as well because there's no backup plan. There's no one there standing behind you that's going to pay for you. Um, so that's kind of the process here, my thought process on how I paid for this. Um, again, if you love quant finance, you want to make a career out of it, I highly recommend doing it, even if it costs you an arm and a leg like myself. But do realize there is risk with it and it doesn't always play out. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And as always, until next time.